Welcome to the Stronger Than Steel podcast with your host, Austin Davidson and John Keir, talking Steelers all the time. Now, here's Austin and John. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Stronger Than Steel podcast. My name is John Keir, and that is Austin Davidson, my co-host. Hello. It is season six, episode 22 of the podcast. Today we're talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers and now Las Vegas Raiders playing in Pittsburgh in week two of the 2021 NFL season. Both teams 1-0 after victories over the Buffalo Bills and the Baltimore Ravens, respectively. This matchup between two uh, currently 1-0 teams. Uh, one of the more interesting games, I figure, on the week one schedule, Austin, but uh, probably one that the Steelers fans had circled as a win going into this one. Uh, still probably confident, but I'm not sure that it's quite as confident after the way week one turned out for both teams. Yeah, it's still going to be tough regardless. The Steelers always struggle against the Raiders, it feels like. Maybe it's a new city, new... Uh... Turning the it's turning the page for the Steelers on how they face the Raiders, but it feels like the Raiders typically play strong against the Steelers. Always, I mean, they still have the uh, they still have the all-time game series. They lead those Steelers sixteen to thirteen in that. So, the Raiders are one of those few teams that has more wins over the Steelers than losses. And uh, as a matter of fact, the last the, the Steelers have been able to get some victories at home, namely in 2010 and 2015 against what was then the Oakland Raiders. But when they played in Oakland during the Ben Roethlisberger era, the Steelers were 0-4. So Ben Roethlisberger never won a game there. So I'm sure he's excited about the fact that, A, it's not in Oakland, and B, that he'll never have to play there again. Yeah. I mean, it's better now that they're in a nice brand-new stadium in Las Vegas, and hopefully that's all that it takes to – change how it goes against the Raiders for the most part and as far as the Raiders themselves they've been a team that's been just really behind uh, really just behind the eight ball for much of the past 20 years in fact they've only played in one playoff game since they lost Super Bowl 37 back in January of 2003 so here we are now uh, looking back at the Raiders under John Gruden uh, since what uh, I believe 2018 was his first season yeah 2018 was his first season they have steadily improved going from 4 and 12, 7 and 9 and 8 and 8 and now they're 1 and 0 in this a new 17 game season. I know that it's still early and they have a lot of question marks, but at least offensively it looks like they have some nice pieces in place. In fact, I'd say that their offense is kind of eerily similar to the Pittsburgh Steelers in terms of where the question marks lie, namely at offensive line and still some questions at quarterback. Yeah, I mean, they're very similar teams on offense, and I mean, they even have an Alabama running back that was starting, was supposed to be starting. But uh, actually, is Kenyon Drake from Alabama too? Kenyon Drake? I feel Drake? like he is. I, I want to say he is, but I might be wrong. Yeah, because as soon as I thought, I was like, well, Josh Jacobs is from Alabama, but I'm pretty sure correct. Kenyon Drake is. Ah, so okay, yeah. So it's it's a, regardless, it's exactly the same. They have an Alabama running back starting for them in the game. So the offenses are uh, eerily similar in several regards. But yeah, uh, I feel like their offensive line is definitely a little bit scary, and so is ours. Uh, theirs kind of by 
force as well because they lost Denzel Good last week, which was tough. That was their starting guard. Richie Incognito is still not back, so they don't have their other guard. And then uh, they're starting a brand new center, and it's just tough. They don't have a lot of snaps there. And Alex Leatherwood is a brand new tackle, probably overdrafted. Well, definitely overdrafted, but besides the point, they have a bunch of new guys on their offensive line, just like the Steelers do. They are very, very similar offenses until you get to, like, wide receiver and tight end because we do not have a Darren Waller unless you want to call Chase Claypool a Darren Waller, and I would say that Waller is much better. Uh, And then they do not have any wide receivers that are worth a damn other than, like, Hunter Renfro, maybe. Uh, The jury's still out on him. I don't know how I feel about him, but I've basically... In, like, what, 15 games, decided that Ruggs is just not going to be good. I, It's probably not fair, but I just, I never liked Ruggs coming out, so I'm not a big fan of his. Uh, Brian Edwards is a guy that people think is going to break out, and uh, I liked him pre-draft, so I'm not sure about him either. So, see, like, where the differences lie. I'm just thinking back about this Alabama running backs thing and it's just wild to think about all the running backs that they've kind of turned into NFL players over the years just listen to some of these names first of all Najee Harris is the program's all-time leading rusher there's also in the top three Derrick Henry and Sean Alexander who was a very big time uh, pro bowler all pro running back back in the day scored I want to say yeah of course for Seattle scored 27 touchdowns in one season I believe Also, TJ Yeldon, Mark Ingram, Trent Richardson, and people may laugh at guys like Trent Richardson, but they were, he averaged six yards a pop in college. Damian Harris, Eddie Lacy, remember Glenn Coffey? Probably not. No, I actually do not. I don't even know who that is. Bo Scarborough, Kenyon Drake, Josh Jacobs. I mean, those are all, with the exception of Sean Alexander, every guy I named there played in the past, like, 11, 12 years. Uh, but yeah, Glenn Coffey was, like, a second-round pick by the 49ers in, like, 2009 and played one season and then retired because... Oh, I feel like I do remember that slightly. Glenn Coffey. We're going right down the rabbit hole to start today. Yeah, here we go. Alabama. Third round running back picked 74th overall, used as a backup to Frank Gore. He he abruptly announced he'd retired just before the season. On April 2017, he was reinstated by the NFL. He announced his in intentions to play in the spring league showcase wow eight years later that's kind of wild that is wild it's a big gap between playing football sure is okay where so where were we now i'm sorry we got lost on the kenyan drake we were talking about their offenses being eerily similar and another thing i wanted to point out is that with this team in general the fact that they ha- – I mean, this has to be a make-or-break year for Gruden, right? I know he has a 10-year contract, but this team, while it has steadily improved, has not been where I think management thought it would be. For the Raiders, you Yes, saying? for the Raiders. Yeah, no, I think they expected to be better a little bit quicker. I mean, Derek Carr had that one great year, like, uh, now feels like forever ago, and then it's just like it's – 
been okay ever since for them. Like Carr's not been special. Uh, like that one year where he was an MVP caliber player. Uh, it's just the offense has kind of underperformed. The whole team has kind of underperformed. And I really think the biggest mistake was the Cleo Mack trade. The Cleo Mack trade destroyed that team because they let that team make first round uh, first round draft picks, and they've all been bust. The team can't draft to save their life. It's really bad. I mean, you look at the first-round picks they had. They had Damone Arnett. Uh, I literally didn't know that guy's name when they drafted him. He is like a borderline guy that doesn't start for them. They have Clellan Farrell, who they drafted four overall. Uh, John looked at him, and it was a guy that was like projected to like maybe in the Steelers' range. He's now a game-day inactive on a team that's pass rush might be coming on now, but wasn't hasn't been good for a while. He was a game-day inactive, and he's very recent. Uh, they just took Alex Leatherwood super, super early, uh, way earlier than he was supposed to go. It's just, they are not very good with using their draft picks at all. They're not smart with it. They are, uh, they took Henry Ruggs, which that one wasn't actually the worst pick based on where he was going. I just, I, to me, he reminded me of John Ross from the get go. He was never the best Alabama wide receiver there or even close to it. He was the fourth best receiver of those four first round receivers. Literally. So, yeah. So, it's still a mistake, and especially when uh, they could have had their choice I, uh, I, of Jerry Judy or C.D. Lamb instead. So, it's tough. I, they're just not very good with their, their first-round picks, and it's kind of kept them in a stagnant state. Their good players are just kind of chilling there. And, I mean, they lost Rodney Hudson, who's I, looked pretty good on in week one against, with the Cardinals, but uh, it's just they, they can't really get better they're not really paying any good free agents they tried trading for cleo mac back which i found hilarious that that was in the off season i bet they wish they still did have him but i i blame that trade for them being in this in this purgatory that they're in because they're not exactly the worst team but they're not going to really do anything either what so in this situation, I know that the obvious answer is to reverse, go back on that, and not trade Mac. But in a general, like in a general way of thinking, a general team building sort of situation, would you would you be okay with trading a guy like Khalil Mack for two first round picks? And I think it was a second round pick. Yeah, it's there. That whole trade was convoluted. I would not be okay. <laughs> no. I, I just you keep I just think that the way the Raiders went about it, they just happened to bust on all the picks because they went off the board for like all those early picks. I think if they had just stayed within themselves and didn't say, Oh, we're smarter than you, we're just gonna pick this guy, even though he's not supposed to go for another round. I think it yeah, would have worked not... out. It, yeah, it definitely would have been better. I'm very curious to see what the 2019 draft looks like after that. Well, why don't I can actually go through, why don't we go through all of their drafts so far? Because this team has gotten better. And I think a big part of it is because they have managed to hit on some of their later picks. Yeah, that is fair. They're just really bad with their first, like their first one and first two, maybe anything in the first round, kind of like the Seahawks. The Seahawks are also that way. I will say Colton Miller was their, the first pick of the second John Gruden era. He's been fine. Arden Key has been a decent player. Maurice Hurst was a fifth round pick and he's arguably their best interior lineman. So I'd say that was a good pick. 
They also got Hunter Renfro in the fifth round and Foster Moreau in the fourth and Max Crosby in the fourth the year before, including they also had Trayvon Mullen in the second. And then in the first round... Maurice Harst isn't in, on the team anymore. Oh, he's not anymore. That was last year. No, he's with the 49ers, yeah. Mm. Well... I was going to say, I, was like, I, I don't think he lasted very long there. He got cut outright. Their first three, their three first-round picks in 2019 were all questionable. Namely, Cleland Farrell, who, like you said, is a game-day inactive and has just been terrible so far in his career. Josh Jacobs, a running back, has produced when he's been on the field but has had some injury problems. And Jonathan Abram, who missed a lot of last season and has been primarily a box safety throughout his career. Like, he's just not a difference maker. And then last year, obviously, Ruggs was basically a non-factor. Damon Arnett got torched. Brian Edwards was really quiet. I mean, there's not a whole lot going on there. Yeah, it's tough. I just want I wanted to look back at that 2019 draft, and honestly, I mean, the best thing they probably could have done is just take Devin White instead. Like, <laughs> I feel like that would be an improvement to their middle linebacker slot because they just traded for Tedzel Perriman. Uh, I think at that time they had just signed Corey Littleton, though, and they thought he was going to be really good because he's really solid with the Rams. So it's it's easier looking back and seeing it. But Brian Burns is obvious, is a way better defensive end, so they should have done that as well. But I don't. Th- Brian Burns wasn't supposed to go as high as he did either. I don't think. I think Brian Burns was considered a like end of the first guy in like as it was happening. I'm trying to see if there's like anyone else that would have been worth. No, honestly, this is a pretty Montez Sweat, but Montez Sweat was also a end of the uh, first round guy that just happened to be pretty solid. I mean, it happens sometimes. You he get was yourself a he, TJ. Plot. He was he was projected to go a little higher though. I think. Yeah, you might be right, because he was very athletic. But yeah, so there's not really much else they could have done. I mean, they definitely the, the the clear choice to me would have been to take Devin White. Now, looking back, at the time, I don't remember if they had Corey Littleton yet. And it probably made more sense to get a defensive end, but if they were doing that, Josh Allen was also on the board. The uh, pass rusher, Jaguars. Josh Allen. Yeah, pass rusher, Josh Allen. So, And he made a Pro Bowl once so far. So he In 2019, he hasn't uh, made it since then, but probably also, it would have been a better pick than Clellan Farrell <laughs> as an edge rusher. So where did this team really struggle last year? It was mainly on defense. They finished bottom third in the league in pretty much every major defensive category and were 30th in points against per game. So this was also a team that forced just 15 turnovers last year and gave the ball away 26 times. So even though their offense produced a lot of points and yards, they were undone by a defense that couldn't generate pressure and couldn't take the ball away. Now through one game... They were much better at generating pressure with Max Crosby, Yannick Ngakwe, and Carl Nassib, but we'll talk about why that might not be able to be something that can be sustained. But there's also an argument saying that it could be against an inexperienced Steelers offensive line. Meanwhile, the offense should have a little bit more success against a Steelers. Uh, tough defense, obviously, but the Raiders' offense is certainly the more talented of their two units. Uh, before we get into actually talking about the game itself, did you want to kind of get to the injury report? Yeah, sure. So for the Steelers, Carlos Davis is out. 
Uh, he was limited to start the week, and then he finished the week with two uh, did not practice. So he is out, and you're going to look for like Henry Mondo to have a good shot to be elevated from the practice squad. Otherwise, uh, rookie Isaiah Loudermilk may be made active for the first time this year. Uh, Mondo makes a little bit more sense because it's the, it's the same. They play the same position, and while Loudermilk is listed as defensive end, but they could go either way. Their defensive linemen are pretty versatile. So watch for one of those guys. As for the rest of the injury report, Joe Hayden with a groin injury, Devin Bush with a groin injury, and Zach Gentry with an ankle injury are all questionable. Unfortunately for them, all three of them were late additions. They didn't appear on the injury report until Friday, and they were all limited uh, participants. It's something to, uh, to monitor. As I just said with Davis, he started the week limited and then had two practices where he did not participate, and they just straight up ruled him out. So who knows if any of these will end up being serious. There wasn't anything talked about, so uh, the hope is that, that they're not serious, but their replacements would go likely as Justin Lane or Trey Norwood, uh, Robert Splane or Marcus Allen. With the reason I listed Marcus Allen uh, is because he's listed as a backup behind Bush on the depth chart. I'm, uh, but I'm pretty sure it would still be Robert Spillane coming in anyway. And then uh, Kevin Rader would replace Zach Gentry for tight end three. Uh, he would be elevated from the practice squad if they can't go. But uh, then after being limited in in some capacity early in the week, Robert Spillane and Eric Ebron carry no designation so they are good for do you, this game. do you have any thoughts as far as do you think that they're all likely to go because i know that i know that it's tough without any more practices to go off of but the fact that they did practice wednesday and thursday i think kind of gives a good sign that even though they are limited they'll at least probably try to give it a go on sunday i don't know it's because like they weren't even on there like it, that to me implies that they got hurt in practice either on thursday or friday early because like they didn't, they didn't, they were not on it at all until Friday. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like when I say not on it, like their name wasn't on it. Like it wasn't like they were full and stuff. It, the injury didn't appear till then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I feel like, I feel like they're all gonna go anyway. But yeah, I, I, I feel like we would have heard something if one of them was a little bit more serious. Saturday night is always the best time. Once it gets to like eleven o'clock on Saturday night. When when Ian and Adam Schefter are tweeting who's going to play and play or not play, I think we'll get a better look at it. As for the Raiders, everyone and their mother is hurt. Like it, it is a long, long list. I'll try to run through it quicker. We already talked about Josh Jacobs. It's Kenyon Drake season now. Uh, Richie Incognito. We talked about him. He's out. Nick Kwiatkowski. He's got a concussion. He's out. Marcus Mariota with a quad is out. Uh, there's now a higher chance to see Pittsburgh legend Nathan Peterman. We're one step closer to seeing him on the field. Uh, Roderick Teamer with an ankle injury is out. And uh, now on to the questionables. And I'm going to talk about Yannick Ngakwe first. He has a hamstring injury, and I think that there's a big focus on him because I th think he's a true 50-50 uh, while he's listed as questionable. He was limited in practice Thursday and Friday, but notably on Friday... He had a massive wrap around his leg and what looked like a splint keeping his leg straight. I think he won't play, personally, uh, but we're going to see. Twitter seems to think he is playing, but I don't know. I saw that picture, and I was like, I saw him walking around and stuff with that, and I was like, I like a video, too. I was like, I, I don't see it, but if you think two days is enough, go, go for it. So 
that is definitely something to watch. And then Carl Nassib with a pe- pectoral and toe and Darius Villan, uh knee also may not be available. Uh, Nassib was limited Thursday and Friday, and Fillon was limited Thursday and did not uh, practice on fr- Friday. So the depth chart, if Yannick can't go, would be uh, Nassib would start. If both can't go, we'd either see Clellan Farrell or Malcolm Kuntz. Uh, they also have Jerry Green, and I was surprised to see this, and Kendall Vickers is on the practice squad. He was the guy with the Steelers like three years ago, and I was like, I, I didn't think that he was still hanging around anywhere, but he's on the, the Raiders practice squad. All defensive ends. Well, how about that? Yeah, so the more you know, that's the injury report. Well, thank you for going through that, Austin. Where do you want to start with this game? Because it's it's a young season. We're not quite sure how things are going to shake out, but based on previous performances, we can kind of shape what we think is going to happen with this team. Oh, um, you mentioned the whole Gerald McCoy thing, right? Uh, we, I talked about it last podcast, but just to reiterate, Gerald McCoy is on IR now, as well as Denzel Good. Is Solomon Thomas uh, expected to get uh, any playing time in this game? Solomon Thomas? I don't know. I That was not a name I even found. Would you look at that? Why did he not appear on the depth chart? What is he hurt or something? Because like I looked up the Raiders' depth chart. He and... did play. He did play last week. He just didn't have any statistics, so I don't know if he's. I'm looking at the Raiders' depth chart right now. Quentin Jefferson and uh, Solomon Thomas are two considered co-starters with Gerald McCoy. Oh, I'm an idiot. Okay, yeah, I was. I was like, I. I was thinking about defensive ends. I was because I could have sworn Solomon Thomas used to be a defensive end. Like, wasn't when the 49ers? Yes, when they drafted him okay. number two overall. All right, yeah, I'm not crazy. I was like, I was like, I didn't see his name when looking at defensive ends, but yeah, okay. So he's at defensive tackle. Fair, 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 fair. All right, why don't we start with the Steelers' offense then? Because it's a unique test because this Raiders' defense for years has been pretty bad, but they did have a good a good game on Monday night last week, frustrating Lamar Jackson and the depleted Baltimore Ravens getting sustained pressure on the Ravens, especially on the outside for a team that had just 21 sacks last year. You you would think that this group of Max Crosby, Yannick Ngakwe, Carl Nassib, and even Cleland Farrell and Malcolm Kuntz can provide more than 21 sacks this season on their own. And then as far as the interior guys, they still have uh, Jonathan Hankins and that combination of Solomon Thomas and Quentin Jefferson, two guys that even though they're not big stat patterns, they're guys that are legitimate NFL players. Yeah, I mean, it feels like they should improve from last year with what they have. Uh, I think their secondary improved too, which should give the pass rush a little bit more time on average to, to get there. So that should help as well. But yeah, honestly, last week, seeing what they did against the Ravens was pretty impressive. I really did not think much of their pass rush coming into the year, even with Yannick. I wasn't the biggest Yannick fan, but he looked good. And then when he got hurt, Carl Nassib looked good. And this could be a product of the Ravens having a bad offensive line. But unfortunately, that's not that doesn't help because the Steelers also don't have the best offensive line right now. A very young and not a lot of starts between all of them. It blew my mind I, uh, earlier today. We were looking at tweets, and it was talking about how inexperienced the Raiders' offensive line was, and J- John pointed out, 
uh, how inexperienced ours was in terms of starts, and it feels like Kevin Dotson has played started more than five games, but he's only started five games. Hello? Hello. Sorry, I wasn't but, sure if you had anything else you wanted to add to that. Yeah, no, I was just, I was just, I was, I was like, I'm still surprised just by the fact that, like, it feels like Dotson has, has started more than that. Well, yeah, so this is a game where we're going to continue to see the effects of a young offensive line growing together, at least from the Pittsburgh side. And I guess that's a good place to start because this will be the second week in a row we'll see this offensive line. And we've had a little bit of time to digest their performance against the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. Still overall, just not a great performance from this team, especially when it comes to run blocking along the offensive line, not opening up enough holes. I do feel like they did a good job of blocking out in space the few times that they were asked to do so. But when it came to kind of pass-fail grades, I felt like... Generally speaking, I felt like Dan Moore and Kevin Dotson were good enough. And on the right side, I felt like Chuk Sikorafor was pretty bad. And Turner was, outside of a couple blocks, pretty unremarkable. Yeah, as as a whole, it's a very average at best line just good as enough. far as right now. Just good enough and, last week. Yeah, just good enough. And now you're facing a line... Uh, a defense that's probably a little bit tougher now. Originally, I was thinking it was a little bit of a downgrade, but after seeing what they did to the Ravens' offensive line with ease, I kind of feel like Max Crosby by himself uh, might be better than anyone we faced on the Bills last week. So it's going to be tough sledding, and that is Chukwumo Korofor's side, which is unideal. <laughs> but I'm hoping for the best here. I'm hoping for... a Excuse me, a bounce back game from Chukwumo Korafor, and hopefully they contain the Raiders better than the Ravens did. Ho- hopefully the Ravens gave us some tape <laughs> to see how to uh, how to handle them a little bit better than the- they did. Maybe they did the right thing by not moving Dan Moore to the right side then, because it did not work for poor Alejandro Villanueva. Oh, absolutely not. Their best pass oh. rusher is definitely Max Crosby, and Gakwe isn't a bad piece to have, but. Even though I mentioned how they are kind of deep, there isn't really a star guy. Crosby's the only guy. Uh, actually, wait, no, none of them had more than double-digit sacks last year. So kind of a quiet year for those guys. They can still generate some pressure. So I don't think it's any reason to expect something crazy. But I do think that they should be able to hold up second week in a row with the same starting unit. I think that they should be able to hold up better than they did last week in terms of protecting the quarterback. So hopefully, to me, that means... More play action, more pushing the ball down the field, holding on to the ball a little bit more. I think you have to be able to. If you can't do it here, when are you going to be able to do it? Because don't you know we have Denver the following week and then Green Bay. Yeah, it's not going to be easy. I mean, these are pass rushes that aren't aren't supposed to be like top tier pass rushes. So if you can't handle these two teams at least enough, you're never. Their Steelers are never going to survive through the harder pass rushing teams when you get like a really good pass rusher like a Chris Jones or uh, well, I'll say Zadarius Smith, even though I'm not that high on him, but uh, he's not going to even be there for the uh, Packers game either. But just guys like that, like guys with that high caliber, it's just going to be a struggle fest if you can't get through these guys that aren't on the same level. They have to be able 
to get the job done and they have to be able to grow together because if they don't now, they're never going to. You've got to be able to go through the trials and tribulations because if they are going to get better, it's only going to be by going through the growing pains and it's going to keep happening. But I think that this is a good opportunity to try to open the bag up a little more. You wanted to get through last week and it worked out well enough. You won, but it's not sustainable. We saw the way that offense produced during the final month of the season last year. It's not going to work going forward. So I think that the Steelers have to be able to open it up. And frankly, when it comes to the ground game, I do feel better about the chances for the running rushing attack to have a pretty good week. Yeah, I feel like uh, the linebackers aren't as fast in uh, Vegas. Like, Corey Littleton is not what he was with the Rams. So, K.J. Wright isn't uh, what he was with the Seahawks, though I still think he's a good player. Yeah, and Denzel Perryman's just all right. Like, he he's not – he was always all right with the Chargers, didn't get a chance with the Panthers, immediately got traded to the to the Raiders before the offseason could even finish. So I think that it'll give them a better chance down the middle. And they don't have, like, an uh, athletic guy – like Ed Oliver in the middle to stop it there. So I think that it's going to be a little bit, I agree with you that I think it's going to be a little bit easier, especially running down the middle. This should be, this should be a game where the, one of the few games this year where the Steelers running backs and tight end should both have the advantage. I think. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to happen a lot. There's a lot, a lot of teams go to faster linebackers now, but it will be one of those games. All right, and then in the secondary, we talked about it. It's a y- relatively young group, Trayvon Mullen, Trevon Morig, uh, Jonathan Abram, but they are, do have the veteran and Casey Hayward Jr. starting over Damon Arnett now. Uh, again, a young group that's had a lot of struggles in the past, and they brought on Casey Hayward. Uh, they held their own last week, but this is probably the biggest question mark for the entire Raiders defense, and I think it's a group that the Steelers can attack will the Steelers be able to take advantage? Not sure. I mean, they should be able to, in my opinion, but I feel like this might be a sneaky hard game for them for whatever reason. I feel like it, it, I don't have a good reason why. I just, like, I look at these guys and don't think much of them other than Casey Hayward. I still like him. I know he's older now. I actually didn't really see him much in the Ravens game. I, I don't have an opinion on how he did in his first game as a Raider, but uh, I always liked him when he played for Green Bay and then went on to the Chargers, so I think he's good, but the rest of the guys, it's meh. Like, they don't have a lot of depth there, and they're they're hurt. Like, I think they only have four safeties left after the injuries, so they're not very deep. Um... Morig was all right when I looked at him pre-draft. I thought he was a solid pick and definitely for where they got him, but I think you could totally attack those safeties and the cornerbacks after Casey Hayward are nothing to write home about. Which one of those guys are you thinking is – I guess which Steelers receiver do you think is uh, primed for a bigger day? Do you think it's a guy like Smith-Schuster over the middle against those weaker linebackers, or do you think it's a case of – this could be a Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool kind of game. I think it's going to be a Deontay Johnson kind of game. I feel like the vibe I'm going to get from this whole year is that the best cornerback is almost always going to be trying to follow Chase Claypool because that is the person 
that I think teams are most most worried about. While Deontay Johnson probably has the most skills, the intangibles that Chase Claypool has combined with Deontay Johnson having a drop problem from last year, I think they're mostly focused on that. And then Juju Schuster is still not running routes that far down the field, not yet. So I feel like it's easier to contain him, and he's not as fast as the other two. So uh, I'm, I'm in to answer the question. I think it's going to be a Deontay Johnson kind of day. Do you think there's any chance the Steelers' offense changes the way uh, it put it attacks in the passing game after uh, last week looked a lot like last season's offense? Yeah, I think it's up to the offensive line. If the offensive line can give them enough time, then, yeah, I'm sure they want to do more. I, I feel like the reason why we switched offensive coordinators and we still seen the same exact thing is because they do not trust the offensive line whatsoever. And when you say they, you also mean Ben, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just it's it's got to get the ball's got to come out fast. You got to run short yardage and you, there's no reason to throw guys far down the field if you're going to get if you're going to get hit immediately anyway. So they designed it to try and make it work on short throws only. And I mean, that is not sustainable, but we have to hope for the offensive line to get better. What is a realistic expectation for this offense at home? Um, I think at home they should be scoring always at least 20 points. And well, and, and uh, furthermore, against this defense, too. Against this, yeah. I, 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 I really hope that they could score 20 points. It was kind of a struggle last week when they were in Buffalo. It's just but... 16 offensive points. But, again, that's kind of where I'm getting at is it should be a friendlier, friendlier situation – they have a little little bit of time to gel together. Maybe they can open things up a little more. I think less than 24 is disappointing. Yeah. I I think I think I'm just ready for disappointment. <laughs> I I don't feel good about the offense still. What are you I, I have to see. What are you most concerned about then? Are you concerned like you're worried on all fronts like the running game is still not going to be able to get going. We're going to see the same dink and dunk passing with no no deep passing. Yeah. Literally everything. I it's just I don't think that I I haven't seen enough from the offensive line yet. I I'm waiting for I feel like I'm going to be waiting for week 3 when Zach Bannert comes back to see if anything can change cuz right now I don't see them doing anything different and if the offensive line doesn't block, the running game's never going to get started. Najee Harris is going to have a disappointing game and then we're going to go back to passing again just like we did against the Bills and it worked. Uh barely, but it worked and then we're going to see the same problems with ben, Ben's inaccuracy and so on and so forth and hope for lucky plays. So I still don't feel very good with uh, about uh, just about things in general for the offense. So I, 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 I've been like prepared for the disappointment of not many points put up and the defense having to really compensate for that. If you're At least Matt Canada, if you're Matt Canada, how do you try to, turn things around this week against a, what should be an easier defense to play against. Um, how do you change it? Are you, are well, you asking me or are you just, you're, it's that no, hopeless in your talk, mind. No, I was just talking out loud. I, it's, it's just hard. Cause they're like, they're an, 
their defense that's just like they're a worse version of the Bills defense overall. I mean, they don't have a Trey White, their safeties aren't that good. But if you're inaccurate throwing, what does that do for you? Like you're going to be able to beat you're going to have Chase Claypool beating Casey Hayward more likely than you're going to have Chase Claypool beating Tredavious White, but is the ball going to be placed in the right spot? Like I'm I feel like I'm all doom and gloom. Like I, I just to cut forward, I have the Steelers winning this game, so it's like it's not the worst thing in the world. But I just think that the defense has to do everything this entire year, up and uh, again up until week three, where I could see if Banner is going to make a difference for this offensive line, and then I'll reevaluate from there. And week three, I mean week four. He's elig- he he needs to be on IR for three weeks, and then he'll be eligible for the fourth game against the Packers. Assuming he'll return then. Which, uh, yeah, by all ac- by all then. accounts, we we ha- we haven't heard definitively, but it doesn't seem like that's going to be an issue. Yeah, that that's that's the hope. But we'll see. I really, I I kind of, I'm going to hold my judgment. Really, up until then, because I don't know. I don't know if let there could be a fluke game. The game against the Bills could have been the only time that the offense line looks like doo doo. And then they play at an elite level. Dan Moore's a Hall of Famer. Kendrick Green's a Hall of Famer. And they just play amazing. Trey Turner r- returns to form, and they absolutely bulldoze the Raiders. I just, I need more, I need to see more to really get there. At the moment, I just haven't seen anything to think that they're going to be better. I just, I need to see, I need to see, like, more guys into protect right now. And I just think there's got to be a way you just have to hold on to the ball somehow. Yeah, it's if you could win the uh, time of possession battle, that would really help. If they could just if they could just run block, I'm not asking for pass blocking. They could give up whatever they want there. If they could just create holes for Najee Harris against a team that shouldn't be very good on run defense, I still have that I still have concerns though because I think they're loading the box up just like they were last year and are daring the Steelers to throw it deeper down the field. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. I think that it, it is going to be tough. If if they can't throw at all, it's like you're going to get the Saquon Barkley treatment where <laughs> it's just they, they don't do anything but but stack the box and stop the run game because they don't care. If, they don't think your throwing game is that good. So got to throw a little bit at least, run some play action maybe. So but, maybe, uh, maybe opening drive, say you get the first drive to start. How are you approaching this? Are you maybe not even necessarily taking deep shot? I see. I think that's a common misconception too. I don't think it's necessarily okay, just immediately launch it down the field because Ben was like in the top five in deep attempts last year. And again, part of that is just because he was near the top of the league in passing attempts, anyways. But I think a lot of it has to do with. I think a lot of it just has to do with attacking intermediate level too, which uh, he was. You know, he was better there than he was going deep last week. But again, there's more room to improve overall. And I think that attacking the middle of the field is going to help when it comes to attacking deep down the field, too. Yeah, it should be easier, too. I feel like the oh, since they they run a they run a four three, uh, I, it should be a little bit easier to target the intermediate middle as long as the offensive line doesn't hold up 4-3 is built more for 
Cushion uh, is built more for getting pressure. I, at least I feel like. But so it, it opens up a little bit more coverage at the back end of the field because you don't have the two middle linebackers out there in the intermediate deep area and intermediate short. So you only have one. Uh, I think that that might help as well. Again, it's I. It's only if the offensive line can block for long enough. If they could block for long enough, this this game should be an easy win. I'm trying to go back now and look at all of Ben Roethlisberger's incompletions in this Buffalo game, trying to get an idea of contextual because he was what 18 of 32, so 14 incomplete passes. Yeah, I'm trying to get an idea of like where these incompletions like what is the issue here so i've seen two so far the first incompletion of the game was on a third and four on the opening drive it was an errant pass but it happened because he got pressure up the middle too early he wasn't supposed to throw that ball as fast as he did but he felt like he had to and then the second one was just a flat out miss so i'm just trying to add context because i i know what you're talking about where he definitely did miss on several passes I'm honestly, my biggest concern is that he's missing on the short the ones. The gimmies. Yeah, because you have the, to have you, those. You need to hit Najee Harris right at at least a realistic spot. He's a running back. Like, if that was, like, one of the wide receivers, all right. The wide receivers definitely should have came down with it because of how high at least I tout them. But, like, this is Najee Harris, a rookie playing in his first game, and you're throwing it above his head behind him or just or slightly behind him, but, like, basically an uncatchable ball and you're not giving him a chance like that is your extension of the run game if you're going to do short passing the entire day you need to take those gimme throws like and those two incompletions to Najee Harris just live in my head rent free like it's it's basically what I've been citing this entire time for Ben's inaccuracy it's for from week one it's just those two throws because you if you're going to throw short all day you have to do it accurately when when they're that open like when when they are open for it how much blame do you put on ben for an inaccurate pass when he's under pressure at age 39 compared to when he was 25 um i don't know if i put more or less i might just value it the same in my head i think it's just like i cuz i expect less from a 39 year old quarterback in those situations just because of the mobility issues. I, I just saw, I just saw in completion number three, which was, I don't know if you remember, it was a third down, down the right sideline kind of floated it to chase Claypool because he was under pressure. A core for it was turnstiled and then Turner and green failed to pick up a twist. So he had two guys running at him and he couldn't step into the throw. So I guess I'm almost, what I'm almost wondering is do you fault him for not stepping into it and taking a bigger hit rather than trying to save himself and take the hit like take less of a hit if that makes sense while affecting oh, the no. throw. Like where are you on that because norm the way obviously the way he used to be is he'd step into that or he'd try to get around them and then he'd take the big hit and make a play whereas now he knows he probably can't take many of those hits anymore. Yeah, no, I don't blame him for that because, I mean, I, I this is more of I blame the offensive line for that. But the, the funny thing with the mobility thing, he looked faster than he has in years again in, in the Buffalo Well, game. yeah, I just saw incompletion number four, and he's it's a rollout to the right, and he, mo- he was moving pretty quick. He, he 
he threw the threw it late to Deontay Johnson. He was open and could have hit him, but it looks like he was the. Third. I remember that exact incompletion where I was like, he needed to get that to Deontay Johnson, <laughs> like a second earlier. Johnson was the wind... second read, at least the second read, maybe the third, because I'm looking back at this now. He was definitely it was a sprint out to Juju. And then he's got his eyes on Johnson, but doesn't throw it for like another second. And I think that's the difference. Yeah, that's tough. I, I that one I remember exactly because I remember tweeting about it. But that was yeah, definitely so... an egregious one. Uh, that one is probably the biggest one on him so far. But at the same time, you have to look at these and say, you know, they add up. So even though, you know, of five incompletions, maybe four of them have not everything to do with them, but some of them do. Like, uh, they have at least something to do with it. Yeah. And uh, there's just a lot of, there's a lot going into it. I The main concern is the offensive line, but the offensive line is causing Penn to be inaccurate more often than not. And he's scared. And... I, I, To be honest with you, I think he's scared to be hit now at this point. Not that he's scared so much of, not that he's so much scared of having to play hurt because he's used to that. But I think he, I think this past year, coming back this past year, I think it was almost a case of he doesn't want to have to miss a year again. Yeah, because I mean, this there's is not much left in the tank. Yeah. So it, it's it's kind of weird how you contrast that with the way he was playing a decade ago, where he was holding onto the ball for five seconds, and I just. I find it fascinating because while I don't think he's afraid of necessarily having to take it, I think he's afraid of his body failing him. I think that's fair. I mean, you're 39 years old. You're supposed to be basically done by now, if not already done. I mean, there's a few outliers with him, Aaron Rodgers getting up there, and Drew Brees is playing old, But and obviously the main one is Tom Brady. But regardless, like it's just it, it's a lot to expect on Uh a lot of expectations for him to do all this. It's tough. I'm trying to look at this, uh, this list of the four, the 40 year old club of, uh, quarterbacks right now. I'm going to try to list him. George Blanda doesn't count because he was a kicker at the end. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. There's been 19 in the history of the NFL that have played at age 40 or later. Yeah, so in March, this upcoming March, Ben will join them if he plays another season after this one. So it's not a lot. Not a lot at all. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's, it's I, I, that's kind of where I've, I've been like kind of wondering back and forth, like how much blame does he really deserve? Because how much should a 39 year old quarterback really be asked to do? Shouldn't be a lot, but at the I, same it, time, at the same time, in order to help the offense evolve, I mean, they, he's got to start holding onto the ball longer. They've got to start making these plays, these routes pushed further down the field. I mean, it's it's a rock and a hard place, but they got to do something. Or maybe they don't. Yeah. Maybe they don't. Maybe they just keep doing this and just get by and until the line gels. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it doesn't. But, I, I mean, I have to think this offensive line is going to get at least somewhat better, at least to the point where they're not giving up pressures, you know, every every handful of snaps here. Yeah, I think that 
I think that the, once they get to play together with a a complete starting offensive line, the one that they want, the one that's completely set when Banner comes back, wherever whatever they choose to do, like because if I, we uh, we talked about this last podcast, we don't know what's going to actually happen when Banner comes back. The assumption is Banner slides into right tackle, Dan Moore stays at left tackle, but anything could change. Once that all settles down, they get to vibe together. The rookies get a few more games under their belt in Kendrick Green and Dan Moore. Hopefully they get better, but it's very early on, and uh, we just got to roll with it for now. The de- If the defense could stay as good as it is, it doesn't matter. They... You know, the interior is pretty much set, though. I mean, this is the group they're expecting to use. It, they, I think by the end of the first month of the season, they should be pretty much good to go. Yeah, the only thing really changing is right tackle, if that. And in theory, it might not, either. Yeah, Chakwumo Korofor could just stay there. So, I mean, is it unreasonable to say in a, a month from now that they should be at least... 15 to 25 percent better than they are now 15 to 25 percent isn't bad might be their max (laughs) maybe but is that unfair for me to expect them to be that much better 15 to 25 percent again we're going off of just one game yeah Uh, i think i think we could i think that's a fair expectation they should be getting better as time goes on as as they practice together and now let's flip to the other side. Now that we've spent all that time kind of diving into the whole Ben Roethlisberger offense, uh, on the other side, the Steelers' defense held a MVP, former MVP candidate, in Josh Allen's offense in check. Uh, you know, just 16 points against the Las Vegas Raiders, another team again similar in terms of the way they push the ball down the field. Different components on offense this time. Not so much running through the receivers as much as they run through their tight end, Darren Waller. When you talk about this team, I mean, it starts and ends with Waller and Carr. I mean, those two guys have been on just another level. And in fact, with the tight end room of Foster Moreau and Derek Carrier, this might be one of the best tight end rooms in the entire league. Dude, it 100% is. I am such a Waller. I can't believe Waller was a Raven. The The Ravens are just really good at finding tight ends. Obviously, weren't able to retain Waller, but it's because like personal stuff. <laughs> it's like that the Steelers with receivers. Them. Yeah, it's just absolutely nasty. And Waller is one of the best. It's unfortunate they let him go. He's super. He's like he's a top three tight end. It's just no around it. It's him. It's him, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. Yeah, and he's nasty. Uh, Mike Tomlin compared him, to, said they don't have a tight end like him on the team, which is very true. It's not anything controversial. They said Chase Claypool is closer to Darren Waller than anyone they have in the tight end room. Also very true, because Waller is just a freak with how fast he is at the tight end position, and it's just, he demands targets. I mean, the Ravens six, six, knew... 6'6", two, six, six, 260, and runs what, like a 4'5"? Something disgusting like that. He's just It's just not fair, and he has good hands on top of it. Uh, decent enough blocker. Uh, just... Absolutely nasty. I mean, he's not blocking much. He got 19 targets against the Ravens. So even when the Ravens know that they have one guy 
to watch out for. It's just like you can't stop him. He That's how you know he's just top tier in the league. It's like the Devontae Adams, the Stefan Diggs of the world. You know they're top tier, and they're still going to usually uh, get fed and get their own. And uh, Waller, in, this, in the game against the Ravens, absolutely destroyed them. Uh, he should be the main focus for the Steelers' defense. And they should ask to be beaten by Ruggs and Hunter Renfro. Yeah. Choose your that, battles that way. And the rest of the tight end room with Foster Moreau and Derek Carrier is at least respectable. Uh, as far as the receivers go, you mentioned them. There's a lot of young guys here, not a ton of well-accomplished guys, a lot of big potential guys, but have not really shined through yet. There's Brian Edwards, the guy that we looked at going into a couple of years ago, and Henry Ruggs we talked a little bit about, as well as Zay Jones, uh, Hunter Renfro, and Willie Sneed is kind of the uh, elder statesman of the group who uh, has put together a nice NFL career, but uh, clearly starting to fade behind these younger, uh, uh, more heralded receivers. Yeah. It's not the worst wide receiver room I've ever seen, but... It's still not that great. I like Renfro a little, but I'm not overly impressed with him quite yet. But like I said, I'd I'd rather take my chance and let those guys beat me and just focus on Waller the entire game, uh, especially if the pass rush continues doing what they're doing. Uh, the Raiders' offensive line is much easier, that much much easier than the Bills' offensive line. Uh, so it should be. It should be a little. It should be fine to just not blitz again. I at least I, I in my head it is. It's easier to just not blitz again. Let the four man pass rush do its thing. They should be able to work just as easy as they did against the Bills offensive line, if not easier, just because of the inexperience between that group and just the level of play coming from those offensive linemen. And why don't we talk a little bit about that offensive line? So no Richie Incognito, no Denzel Good. Is there anyone else along that line I'm missing here? Uh, no more Rodney Hudson. But <clears throat> Oh, well, yeah, he's he's been gone. Yeah, he's so, been gone. So uh, let's start with Colton Miller, the most steady of that group. He's, he's a good player. He's going to have his hands full with Melvin Ingram and Alex Highsmith, I think, all game long. Yeah, it's tough. Uh it's tough for really, really good tackles. Colton Miller's all right, as we talked about. He's not bad, but like it's just going to be a tough. It's going to be tough going against some top tier outside linebackers. I'm sure he'll have his wins, but it, it they uh, Ingram and Highsmith should be able to match him. And then on the other side, you've got. I'm trying to look at the backups here right now. The backups: Brandon Parker, Jermaine Illuminor, John Simpson. And Nick Martin. Uh, Nick Martin's a center. He's played. Uh, he started a bunch of games for the Texans. Do you think they'll put him, push him to guard, or do you think it'll be a guy like Simpson or Illuminor? Uh, they're saying it's going to be Simpson and Illuminor. It's those. They're saying those are the two they're starting. Anything could change, but at the moment, that's where it's going. So, as far that's what it sounds like it's going anyway. So those are that's former, who they should be seeing. Those are former fourth and fifth round picks with three and eleven career starts to their names guys that I think that Cameron Hayward and either Tyson Alualu or Chris Wormley even I think should be able to have pretty good success against yeah I mean it's pretty good offensive line to verse when you have such a pass rush 
I'm very excited to see the three outside linebacker sets. I hope they rebring them out. They might store them away for a little bit to try not to overuse. You them, might not need it in this game, but if you, you do, might you it. might get a lot of pressure. You, you're probably going to get a lot without it, but if you wanted to be OP, you probably could. And the biggest matchup is on the right side with Alex Leatherwood, who, again, I think he's going to be a fine NFL player, but I thought was way overdrafted by the Raiders this year. And it's been one game, but he struggled mightily against the Baltimore Ravens and Justin Houston. And I think TJ Watt is going to make him look more like Bobby Hart than, well, Ale- well, eh. I-, I think he's going to look more like Bobby Hart than what Alex Leatherwood was hoping. You're telling me he's not going to be the next Anthony Munoz? I mean, I don't feel good about it. Not at this point. I mean, maybe he can, but, uh, I just I thought it was gonna take I I thought he was more of a guy that needed a little bit of time, and getting thrown out here like this against poor T J Watt is gonna be, I think disastrous for him. But who knows? Maybe he'll be the Andrew Thomas to Chase Young. Yeah, could be, could be definitely. Wouldn't bet on I've seen, I I've seen the Steelers play down to their opponent more than once in my lifetime. It's so it, it wouldn't be that surprising if 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 I found out that the Raiders offensive line had had their number for whatever reason. Now, Derek Carr is a guy that is generally a pocket passer, but he has kind of deceptive speed even now at age 30. Do you have any concerns about him possibly scrambling around? Because I look at this offensive line, I think the Steelers should be able to generate huge pressure, even with just their front four, considering the success that they had last week against Buffalo by only blitzing once or twice. Yeah, I'm actually not as worried. I feel like the Steelers linebackers and edge rushers, they all have they have more speed than we're accustomed to. I mean, with the addition of, of Schobert, the team as a whole, I feel like, has more speed. I mean, they opted for a lot of younger guys. Younger doesn't always mean faster, but I feel like at the moment they're faster and more set to handle a little bit more mobile quarterbacks. I feel like they handle that other than like Lamar Jackson running, which no team can really stop that. I feel like they handle uh, rushing quarterbacks fairly decently. I mean, we saw against Josh Allen, which is a different kind of running quarterback. Cause he just kind of puts his shoulder down and says, I'm going to run through you. Like, I'm a, like I'm a running back, but I think that they did okay in, in that regard. So I'm not really worried about Carr as a rusher elsewhere. As far as the receivers go, we talked about Renfro who, Looks like a solid but not spectacular slot receiver. You talked a little bit about Rugs, and uh, we haven't yet talked about Brian Edwards. Either of those guys causing any concern, especially with the possibility of Joe Hayden not playing in this game? Uh, Renfro would be my biggest concern uh, at wide receiver. I think that he's just the best. Uh, Edwards is a guy that I really liked coming out, but I just haven't really seen anything yet. I, I keep hearing hearing he's going to break out might be the new McCold Hardman. He his, his uh, career hasn't been that long though, but I keep hearing he's going to break out and I just haven't really seen anything yet to think so. He's he might just need more targets so I could see more, but uh, I'm not the, the order would be Renfro then Edwards then rugs. I'm literally not afraid of rugs. Cause even if he blows past the defense, I, I just, I just don't think he's very good. I'm really not worried. 
right, as far as the specialists go, oh, real quick, uh, Kenyon Drake, the drop-off from Josh Jacobs to Kenyon Drake. Uh, any thoughts on that? Not very far. Not as far as people think. I, I Josh Jacobs being out is helpful to the Steelers, but not that helpful. Because Josh Jacobs, for some reason, just is not a very good pass-catching running back. Or at least the Raiders are, are uh, portraying acting, him that way. Acting as though that's the case. Yeah, so... I mean, he was fairly limited, and I I didn't think he was that great as a rusher last year. I I think uh, he was all right, but like him and Ke- neither it's like kind of like the same with Kenyon Drake. Like he wasn't a very good rusher last year. The Cardinals made Drake out to not be a pass catcher, and then now he's a pa- back to being. A, he was a pass catcher with Miami. Cardinals just don't dump it down to running backs and made him not into a pass catcher, even though they threw it to chase Edmonds all the time. I, I didn't get that. That that's a separate, that's another team. Uh, now with the Raiders again, he's a pass catching back and he'll be a serviceable back. I think that the drop off is small. Okay. All right. And then as far as the specialists go, I don't think there's anything too crazy here. Drake and Renfro expected to be the returners. Uh, Daniel Carlson has been the kicker for the Raiders the last couple seasons. Nothing. He's really good. He is pretty good. He's a yeah. good kicker. He hit that 55-yarder against the Ravens. Hit a lot of 50-yarders last year, it felt like. I did not realize that... That's, I was thinking about Sebastian Janikowski. I didn't realize he, he was playing as late as 2018. I know he had a long career, but it feels like he's been gone longer than that. Yeah, that 2018 years with the Seahawks, right? That is correct. He missed. It's because he played that one year with the Seahawks, and I forgot about that. And his last year with the Raiders was 2017, but he didn't play at all that season. So that's why it's been five years since he played in uh, Oakland. Yeah, that's wild. Mm-hmm. All right. Do uh, you want to get to NFL news and then the picks, or do you want to just get to the picks and then we'll hit the news on the way out? I'll do the NFL news. I usually end up just talking about it during the week anyway, so I might as well do it first. Okay. Uh, so the Packers have placed Darius Smith on IR. He is not going to be available for the Steelers game week four because of it. Uh, that was their best pass rusher, so that's tough. The Chargers have placed offensive tackle Brian Beluga on IR, which is a t- another tough loss on a completely revamped offensive line. I was trying to look it up and see what people were saying, and uh, there are some people that do want Filer to kick out to right tackle, but I I I just I didn't know because I didn't know if they had better tackle depth or better interior depth. Uh, Filer's starting at guard for them, obviously at the moment, but uh, it's a, he has a chance to be kicked out back to right tackle because of that injury. We will see. And then uh, the Dolphins were excited about the return of Will Fuller from the suspended list, but. There's something weird going on where the details haven't emerged on what exactly is going on, but uh, Fuller didn't practice this week and has been ruled out for week two due to personal matters. Uh, Flores was asked if he will return this season and declined to comment. That's rough. Any that, that's any speculation on if it's related to COVID? I that's what I was thinking too. Is like, is this like is is he not vaccinated or something? But like. Why wouldn't he just quit out earlier? And, I mean, they have Adam Shaheen, which I don't know if anyone's been following him at all on, like, social media or listening to him talk, but Adam Shaheen is not (laughs) – 
uh, what's it called? He's just not. He's very anti-vax, so it's not. I I can't imagine it being something like that. They're definitely not telling Fuller he needs to get vaccinated or something like that. I don't know. We're gonna find out later, sooner or later, I think. But who knows? Also, uh, the Saints placed. Uh, I saw the Saints played Marcus Davenport and Quan Alexander on injured reserve. Ah, classic. Quan Alexander's yearly visit to IR is already upon us. Classic. All right. Uh, how about that game last night between the Giants and Washington football team? That was a really good game. Washington squeaking out that 30-29 to 29 victory. Good. Okay, good is a, uh, is a stretch. It was entertaining. <laughs> they, they Both teams played bad at times and for different reasons with different things, but... There was a lot in that game that made it very entertaining, and obviously a retry kick won the game for the Washington football team. Not enough to cover, though. Was he offsides? That's the question I keep asking. And I don't have a, I don't have a definitive answer because that camera angle of, of Lawrence jumping offsides is not conclusive one way or the other because of the way it's pointed. I'm just saying I think he, there's a chance he was not offsides. Yeah, it's so close that, I mean, if you have to slow it down and you still can't figure it out, I think the ref made the right call. I, I th- like, I'm i glad it got called either way because that he, he that's stupid, he's stupid, and they deserve to lose because he's stupid. But. <laughs> Classic. But I, 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 I missed, like, most of the first two and a half quarters of that game, so the end of it was, was pretty entertaining, although I will say the timeouts and booth reviews at the end kind of killed it for me until – that offsides. Yeah, it definitely slows down the game, but uh, overall, the game was just an entertaining. Both teams were basically trying to lose. Like that Heineke, the whole ending, two minutes and like fifteen seconds was just <laughs> was bizarre. Football team basically had it locked. They had to run, which for some reason they decided, hmm. We're not going to use Antonio Gibson tonight. We don't want to run. Heineke threw it straight to James Bradbury, who had been getting burnt by Terry McLaurin all night. But Heineke says, here, have a gift. Let's make it a game. Puts him right in field goal range. Uh, And uh, with two minutes and, like, 20 seconds to go, or even less, I think two minutes and 15 seconds, the Giants decide not to run it and just, like, throw it three straight times and somehow leave... Heineke, they kick the field goal and leave Heineke two minutes after that to drive back down the field and get that game-winning field goal to untie it. Just an incredible sequence. Certainly was an incredible sequence. You should definitely check Twitter for what I just sent you. Pat McAfee is... uh... (laughs) I love Pat McAfee. Um, He's a really funny dude. uh, Let's get to our picks, though. Let's get to that part of the show. Bengals at Bears. Chicago is a two and a half point favorite at home, coming off that tough loss on Sunday night against the Los Angeles Rams. How do you feel about this team? And how do you feel about the Bengals coming off that surprising win against the Vikings last week? The Bengals might have been a team I was too low on. Uh, Jamar Chase performed really well in the regular season where it matters. So I may be too low on them, but. I was more impressed with the Bears than how I feel underrating the Bengals, if that makes sense. 
So I still have the Bears covering because it might have been the best 14 points I saw from an Andy Dalton offense that I might ever see. So I'm going to take the Bears to cover here. Looking at their injury report, they're missing an, another offensive tackle in Larry Borum. Jason Peters is questionable. Darnell Mooney is questionable. Marquise Goodwin is questionable. I have a bunch of questions about this offensive line. And even though I don't think the Bengals are a great team, I think that their offense could emerge to be just good enough to keep them competitive and could allow them to win some games. Give me the Bengals to win this game outright in a surprise. 2-0 and start for Cincinnati. Bro, it's fine. David Montgomery going to play left tackle and running back. It's fine. <laughs> He'll be fine. <laughs> hey, hey. It's all fun and games until you have to pay the backup running back more than the starter. <laughs> Classic. Browns, Classic. Browns and Texans. Uh, the Texans, again, uh, if the playoffs started today, the Texans would be the top seed. The Browns would not at 0-1. The Browns looking to rebound from a close loss to the Chiefs last week. It's a 13-point spread for the Texans despite being 1-0. I am going to take the Browns to lay the 13 points here because even though the Texans were able to win an impressive fashion last week, the Browns are a whole different ball game than the Jaguars. Uh, for me, the Texans got a chip on their shoulder. I think that it's not going to be a competitive game. I feel like they could be down 30 to 10 with like two minutes to go. And they're just going to get that last seven. They're going to get a touchdown and get the last seven points and make it like 30 to 17. I just don't trust Cleveland enough yet to, to cut. That's like a big boy spread. It's like, I don't know, Cleveland, are you ready to sit at the big boy table? I'm, I don't know if I'm there yet. I don't like that. That's a big boy spread. I don't know if they could handle that. Um, I'm going to take the Texans plus 13, even though they're probably the second worst team in the league that played the worst team in the league. Los Angeles Rams at the Indianapolis Colts. The Rams are three-and-a-half-point favorites on the road. I actually like the Colts in this one. I know that they lost to the Seahawks at home last week, but I think the Colts are starting to get a little healthier, and I feel, I feel, I do feel better about where this team might be heading. I think it's going to take a little bit of time. I'm sorry. I am an idiot. I was saying the Colts are getting healthier. They're actually not healthy. It's the Rams that are healthy. They have no one on their injury report, and I'm – I'm a doofus. I was just... Uh, <laughs> I'll I, allow you to change. You know what? <laughs> if you would like. I, I will. I'm, I'm, I am I'm. just completely confused myself there. I meant to say the. I feel good about the Rams here. I feel good about the Rams covering a three and a half point spread here uh, because the Colts are all banged up. Uh, I mean, Quiddy Pay, uh, Quiddy Pay, Michael Pittman, Paris Campbell, and Eric Fisher, and Quentin Nelson are all questionable. That's a lot going on. And Carson Wentz was okay. I mean, how would you think about Carson Wentz's first game? I thought it was uneven, not terrible, but not great either. Yeah, I think he did all right, which is better than what we saw last year. I mean, he was a turnover machine last year, so I think he did better comparatively, but just okay in terms of, like, uh, quarterback play around the league. Now, about... The Rams, I think they are a bit overhyped and overrated, but I still don't see why this shouldn't be a pretty solid win for them on on the road. Yeah, I'm also going to take the Rams to cover. I 
you what scared me the most about the Colts, the one thing that I could hammer home about them or hammer down no matter what, was that their offensive line play is going to be top tier. And Seattle destroyed them last week. Uh, uh, and Seattle's pass rush has gotten better, but for the Colts to get manhandled the way they did really, really scared me. I don't know what to think of with that team because now that's like, if they don't have the offensive line play, what do they have? They don't have a great quarterback. They have a solid running back duo in Jonathan Taylor and Naeem Hines, but that doesn't get you very far in real life, only in fantasy. And in paid, uh, paid backup running backs. And paying running backs. Paying backup running backs, yes. Uh, their wide receivers are all banged up, and T.Y. Hilton's not coming back until at least week three. And I don't know, the neck injury... I haven't heard anything about it, I'll be honest, but I feel like it could be a surprise week eight IR type of deal instead of week three. So I just, there's not much on that offense I like. And going to the other side, the Xavier Rhodes is hurt. Quiddy Pay, you mentioned. It's just like, it's there's nothing going on with that, that, that team at the moment. They're like, if that offensive line doesn't bounce back, that is a bottom tier t- team, which granted in my in my uh, predictor, I'd already had them as like a, I think I only gave them like five or six wins. I, I got to look back at that to remember what I predicted for them. So, and that was while I thought their offensive line was good. So I don't, I don't know if they don't have that offensive line that this team is one of the, one of like a bottom five te- team in the league. But so uh, I will have the Rams covering after that long tirade about how I hate the Colts. I, I feel like it's going to be a, a weekly episode thing that I just hate the Colts. Uh, don't worry, I'm right there with you on the Falcons, but for other reasons. <laughs> there you go. The Buffalo Bills visit the Miami Dolphins. The Bills off coming off that tough loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Dolphins having that uh, having that win over the Patriots last week in a close game. The Bills won both of those games against Miami last year. They're three-point favorites on the road. Give me the Bills, lay the points this time. I think the Bills, or sorry, I, I said three, I'm at three and a half. Oh, no, no, I did mean three. I'm sorry. I'm looking at two different lines here because ESPN loves to have their pigskin pick them and their regular lines different for some reason. Anyhow, I like the Bills either way. I think they'll win this one by about 10 points. Yeah, this is almost my lock of the week, and then I remembered it was a division game. I'm still going to have the Bills to cover, uh, but I did not make this one my lock of the week. I'm just not convinced that Tua is going to have a good day against this defense. And even though the the Dolphins' defense has done a good job over the last year or so and they're relatively healthy, not having Will Fuller and uh, Preston Williams is questionable, so their receiver room is a bit depleted, I feel like Josh Allen's going to turn it around this week. Yeah, I feel like it's a good week to, to do so. Elsewhere in the AFC East, the Patriots are visiting the Jets. The Patriots are six-point favorites on the road. I feel like they'll get the job done this week. I like the Patriots to win this one by a touchdown. Uh, Zach Wilson and the Jets, I I feel like they're more competitive. They're going to be more competitive than they were last year. But, again, they've also got questions at the receiver position with Keelan Cole and Jamison Crowder both being questionable. And that Patriots defense, while not the unit it was a couple years ago, is still solid. And I think Mac Jones has taken some solid steps in the right direction. So give me the Patriots. Yeah, I was back and forth on this one. I I was, 
it's kind of tough because they really kind of, to me, they nailed that line. Like, it is just enough where I totally could see the Patriots beating the Jets by that, but, like, not, not enough where I feel like I need to take the Jets plus the points. So I'm going to also pick the Patriots to cover. Uh, I just, I'm not, I don't believe in the Jets with all their injuries too. I think it's going to be tough for them uh, to compete again this year. I, I, I kind of predicted them to be better, but with how things are lining up, I just don't think they're going to be much better this year. The offensive line play was worse than last year's and through week one. Uh, and that's really bad. So I will take the Patriots to cover. The San Francisco 49ers taking on the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles are still three-point underdogs at home despite their impressive win over the Falcons last week. I actually like the 49ers in this one. I know that they've really struggled down the stretch in that win over the Lions, but I do think the Niners have a more complete team than the Eagles, who just happened to beat up on what I think is the lowest of the low in the NFL and the Falcons and the purge, the, the scourge <laughs> of the NFL world. So that doesn't mean I don't respect the Eagles. I do think they're a better team than I might have thought at this point a couple months ago. But I think the Niners are a more complete team, so I'll take uh, the 49ers. Minus the three. Give me the Eagles to upset. Eagles plus three. They're my new Cardinals, so I'm just going to keep going with them. Eagles plus three. Oh, we need to keep track of our locks of the week because this is going to be my lock of the week. Saints Saints at Panthers. I understand that, and I'm going to mark it as such with the yellow, uh, yellow highlighter. That's my lock of the week. I understand that it's a divisional game, but at the same time, just the way that the Saints dismantled the Packers last week and the fact that I think very, not very highly of the Panthers, three and a half points seems like a really small line, even if it is a divisional game. Give me the Saints by at least uh, 10 points. I will also be taking the Saints. I just th think that the Panthers aren't very good. All in all, they, they beat the Jets by five points, which... I don't really know how how to feel about yet, so I will also go with the Saints, which were able to take down a much better team, but handily. So I'll pick the Saints to cover. The Broncos are traveling to Jacksonville and are nearly touchdown favorites, six points against the Jacksonville Jaguars. It was an ugly loss for Jacksonville against another potential NFL uh, divisional dweller in the Houston Texans. Uh, playing this game without Trey Herndon. Uh, on the cornerback spot, they're relatively healthy, though. I have a hard time seeing how Jacksonville is going to be able to keep this one within a touchdown. I like the Broncos all day. That that one's close to my lock of the week, too. Yeah, I'm also going with the Broncos here. I'm going to have them covering. I just... The Jaguars, every passing week, like, I don't know... I don't, I, I don't know. I, I that's, that's what I have to say about the Jaguars. It's just, I don't know. Um... I don't know who they're going to be able to compete with yet. I think they might be able to w steal like a few divisional games. Maybe they might be able to get back on at the Texans the next time they verse each other. But the Jaguars are really bad. Like really, really bad. Top to bottom. Just everything is bad. And it kind of reminds me of the Jets. Except they have a better quarterback at least we think as far as we know he he was 
much better, uh, much much better than like what the Jets had with Sam Darnold. But my, the point I'm getting to is they're in a very dangerous zone where if your coaching is bad and your quarterback is bad, you have a chance to win less than three games. And they might be heading for that. It's just something to watch and monitor. I'll probably eat my words when they win forty to seven over the Broncos this Sunday. But well, what I do you think don't... about uh, Trevor Lawrence right now? Uh he was. If 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 there was an aggressively average, I feel like that was it because he was so aggressive that that it literally made his stats average. Like like. Uh, he had the three touchdowns and three interceptions, and that, that that's like kind of to me like college numbers. So, and I mean when you're doing that, you're it's kind of average out. Like yeah, he's driving the ball downfield and stuff, but not very effectively. He won some, he lost some. Very average play uh, at the end of the day. High on the stat sheet, but he had, and it was a lot for a rookie to that throw was garbage fifty time, times. Though. Yeah, it's true. I I give him props for throwing so much in his first career start. Uh, but he's all right. <laughs> he is simply all right at the moment. Uh, now into the four o'clock games, Vikings at Cardinals. The Cardinals are only three and a half point favorites, which to me was shocking after the Vikings lost against the Bengals last week. Give me the Cardinals easily by maybe two touchdowns. I just, uh, I'm, I'm pretty close to buying in full time on the Cardinals now. I will also be taking the Cardinals to cover. I am not hiding how much I don't like the Vikings team, and I have never hidden how much I've loved the Cardinals since getting Kyler Murray, so Cardinals cover. The Falcons are traveling to Tampa Bay to take on the Buccaneers. Tampa Bay is 12.5-point favorites. Uh, yikes, that, uh, that could be a blowout uh, in pretty quick order. Yeah, I'm going to have the Buccaneers covering this because, yikes, just the Falcons are, that's that's the only word I have to describe the Falcons, yikes. Bucks cover. Last year, the last time they played, Tampa Bay hung 44 on them. In fact, the last two games, both games last year, Tampa Bay hung 30 points, and it, I, as I recall in those games, it felt like they could have scored more. So I'll take the Buccaneers by easily two touchdowns, maybe three. Into the 425 games, we have the Cowboys at the LA Chargers. The Chargers are three and a half point favorites. I actually like Dallas here. They've had a little more time to prep. The Chargers had some injuries like you were just talking about. I think the Cowboys, even though I know that they're going to be missing Demarcus Lawrence, I think that that little extra prep time is going to give them an edge in this one, and they'll be able to come out with a close win over the Chargers. I was also going to pick Dallas, but now I'm going to pick the Chargers. I was so back and forth all day uh, about this game because I was like, these teams really feel like either one could win this one. It could be a one-point victory like to the end, just like the Giants football team game that we saw on Thursday. Uh, my thought process was after I saw the Chargers injuries that they put – uh, Beluga on IR. I was gonna go to the. I was gonna go to the Cowboys, but you reminded me about Demarcus Lawrence, and that reminded me that Randy Gregory has COVID and won't be off the list for that game. At least it looks very unlikely because he didn't have a negative test today. 
So he would need to have a negative test tomorrow and on Sunday to be able to play before the game. So I will go back to the Chargers covering, but I flip-flopped on this a quite a bit. Tennessee Titans at the Seattle Seahawks. The Titans are six-and-a-half-point underdogs in Seattle. The Seahawks do have a bunch of important injuries with Dwayne Eskridge, Rashad Penny, Damian Lewis, and DJ Reed, amongst others. The Titans will be missing Caleb Farley, but are expected to have pretty much everybody else playing in this one. Even though the Titans got smoked by the Cardinals, I feel like they'll have a much better performance against a good Seattle Seahawks team. I don't know they'll come away with the win, but it I think it'll be a three-point game, one of those uh, last-minute game-winning drives for Russell Wilson and crew. I think the Titans are going to bounce back. I think they're going to bounce back big. I think the Titans are going to blow out the Seahawks in like 33 to 10. No reason. I just think that I think that they're going to have a comeback game and uh Seattle's going to get their teeth kicked in undermining them. So, I'm picking the Titans plus 6 and a half. Monday or sorry, Sunday night football. The annual Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes matchup. This has been a tough season for the Baltimore Ravens already, not only starting 0-1, but are missing a ton of players to either season-ending or dinged-up injuries that will cause them to be on IR. Shockingly, the Chiefs are just 3.5-point favorites, which I think is shocking. It's funny because normally over the years we've talked about this, I feel like the Ravens and Chiefs have the perfect offenses to, uh, to combat each other. The Ravens' defense is attacking and daring, and the Chiefs are big on making big plays happen, making you pay for the blitz. Meanwhile, the Ravens should be the perfect type of offense to go against the Chiefs' defense, the long ball control type of offense, keep the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands. You would think that it would work more for the Ravens, but over the course of these two quarterbacks playing each other, Mahomes and the Chiefs have had the upper hand every time. I mean, this this series' history has been... There have been close games, but in terms of the quality of play on the field, the Chiefs have had the better of it completely. Oh, yeah, and the last game was like a runaway. Finally, that was finally representative of how the game really was. Yeah. Yes, it was. So this is my lock of the week. I have the Chiefs covering. I saw that. I, I saw that spread and I literally was like, what is happening here? <laughs> like, what, what? Are you going to put actual Holmes money down? Put, uh, I can't. I, they really need to, well, I guess I could, but they really need to hurry up with the mobile betting. Like I'm, I'm trying to throw my money away at gambling and New York is like, Hey, we're going to be slow as anything. We don't like that uh, extra so, revenue. We do not. Hey, so. I'll never forget your, their first and only usage of my bookie.ag. <laughs> Oh, I forgot it. So <laughs> what, what did I do? There was some sort of line where you were like, I have, it's so crazy. I have to bet money on it. You immediately signed up and your credit card information got stolen. So you uh, had to immediately shut it down. You remember now? I thought, uh, okay. I was like, I thought that I never used that. And I was like, yeah, you literally, you it. literally signed up and like, right, like right as you entered it and it happened. So it was like never again. Yeah, I had my own Nigerian prince that just needed a thousand dollars for to to give me a million. I'm pretty sure it went through Nigeria, but yeah, that was fun. So I would as soon as mobile betting is legalized in New York, I'm gonna throw so much money down. It 
they're projecting for like January. So I'm probably not going to bet on like so a Super next... Bowl or anything. I'll probably start betting next season. So I was going to say, so like next this. September is when it'll start. Yeah. I don't know what's it called. I might be able to go to my local casino and do it. Oh, because... you can. I know for a fact that you can because, well, I mean, it depends on obviously what casinos allow what, but we have sports books where we are. So like there's one like an hour and a half from me at Del Lago. So like last year I went down or right before the Super Bowl, I went there and I had three bets, a Super Bowl winner for this year, a Stanley Cup winner for this year. And the first touchdown of Super Bowl 55 being Lev Bell, which would have paid me. I it was like a $10 bet and it would have paid out like $400 and he didn't play a snap. That's lit, but it was the best $10 well, you ever spent I can, because you had a chance. I can actually go get that $10 back if I go back to the casino before a year has passed. Really? Yeah. How come? Uh, because it's considered a push because he didn't play a snap. Ah, so okay. I'm I'm going to go back at some point this year. I'm just waiting for the next time I feel like throwing down money. So the point the point being, if you have a sports book on the island somewhere, you can go bet. I don't know where one is, but I I maybe we'll see. We'll see if like I if I see one close, I'm gonna be on the way. I'll do it. But yeah, I think the Chiefs are gonna cover this i think they're gonna cover this handily i'm pretty sure that she's have had bigger spreads in other in other years like the past couple years and that's kind of wild to me i i don't really know what the thought process is here is it i, I guess the thought process is they're gonna have a bounce back game the ravens are and that latavius murray has fixed their running game and tyson campbell looked good i i suppose I, I don't really know. I, I don't think I, – I, I just can't get behind it. It's my lock of the week for the Chiefs to cover. What do you think the score is going to be? I'm going to say 37 to 20. Hmm. Yeah, I can see it being a blot. I like the Chiefs big in this one as well, so give me the Chiefs minus that three and a half. By the way, the the Ravens just placed Chris Wester Westery Westry, uh, the cornerback on injured reserve again, and they're without Derek Wolf, and they have setbacks with Ronnie Stanley, Marquise Brown, Devin Duvernay, Marlon Humphrey, Jimmy Smith. All those guys are questionable, and we know Stanley isn't going to play. Yeah, that's crazy. And on that's top just... of on top of all the injuries they also have. Yeah, I. Damn, I'm really now. I really want to throw money down on this game. You should go see if there are sports books around you. I'll look one up for you. Uh, yeah. Oh, I don't like. You can always go to New Jersey. I mean, I would never go to New Jersey if yeah, I had to. That, that, yeah, that's that's an awful, awful place. I just wonder because there's a casino like literally like 15 minutes away from me. I wonder if just if call it and has... ask. Call and ask. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I'll have to do that after the podcast. I'm sure they're still open because it's Friday night. Mm, yeah. Well, that's Saturday morning now. Saturday morning. I'm kind of curious yeah. about that myself. But let's get to the last game of the week, the Detroit Lions at the Green Bay Packers for Monday Night Football. Green Bay favored by 11. I like the Packers in this one. I think they'll come out frustrated after struggling so much last week. And remember – 
this is a team that gets blown out a ton over the last three years in the Matt LaFleur era. They've been blown out in like, what do they have? Like nine losses under his, uh, under in his, uh, tenure. And like seven of them have been by double digits. Yeah. It's not the biggest deal in the world when the Packers get blown out. I, I struggled with this one a lot too, though. Most because like, of the lions though. Right. Yeah. I, Cause I feel confident that green Bay is going to bounce back. But I thought that line showed enough good stuff that I didn't know if the Packers are going to win by 11. I did end up taking the Packers covering, but I can 100% see the Lions only losing by like a touchdown or like 9 points, 10 points, something like that. All right, let's get into our final analysis for this week uh, regarding X-Factors, bold predictions for Steelers and Raiders. Give me everything you got for this one. Sure. So, as for my X-Factors, I am going to go with Deontay Johnson as my offensive one. I'm going to move away from the offensive line like I did last, uh, as I picked last week. I think that Deontay Johnson is going to be a big deal in this game. I think that the short routes that he runs, because I think he's the best, like, uh, he's the shiftiest, most elusive wide receiver we have. So, if we're going to play a short passing game, I think that that would be most important. Uh, he would become most important in that sense. On defense, I think I am going to go with... Hmm. I am going to go with... Damn. I don't actually know. I'm going to go with Melvin Ingram. I, actually, did you pick him last week? I don't remember. All right, I'm going with Melvin Ingram. <laughs> if we picked, picked him twice in a row, I'm sorry. But I'm going to pick Melvin Ingram going up against Colton Miller. I think that that's going to be a good matchup. TJ Watt should be able to handle Leatherwood on the other side, but uh, Ingram and slash Highsmith on the, on the other side is going to have the bigger challenge. I think that uh, he could be a difference maker in this game. As for my bold predictions, Melvin Ingram gets three sacks in this game. That's for him. Deontay Johnson uh, will get, will have no drops, first of all, which he didn't last week. Uh, then on top of that, he'll have 10 receptions for over 140 yards. And I don't think I'm going to do a third bold prediction this, this week. I, I usually do, but I don't have one on off the top of my head. So you could take over. Well, I'm sorry, could you repeat those for me, your bold predictions? Uh, so my bold predictions were 10 catches for 140 yards and no drops for Deontay Johnson and three sacks for Melvin Ingram. Mm. I'll go with the Trey Norwood pick six as one. And then for the other one, I'll do, ready for this, Steelers with a 100-plus uh, yard rushing performance which I think they've done once in the past 16 games they've played. Heck yeah. And then uh, my X-Factors, I'm going to go with Chikwuma Okorafor. i got to stay on the offensive line. The Raiders' best pass rusher, Max Crosby, against possibly the Steelers' worst starting offensive lineman in Chikwuma Okorafor. He has to be better than he was last week. And then I just mentioned Trey Norwood. Going with him on the backside because he was the Steelers' top defender in the slot last week. And if he's going to keep playing in the slot, that means he's going to get matched up on Darren Waller in this one. Played pretty well last week. Darren Waller's a whole different story than Cole Beasley and Dawson Knox. So 
He needs to have a big game. All in all, Austin, this looks like a much more winnable game, and Pittsburgh is favored by six, but do you still agree that Pittsburgh will win this game by six? I think Steelers will win, but I think the Steelers are going to win very narrowly. I think the Steelers win uh, 21-20, which would have the Raiders plus six. I'm just not a believer in the offense yet. I don't think... I'm not sure how much they can improve from one week to the other. I would like to be... I wouldn't like to be wrong, because if I'm wrong, that means the Steelers lose. But I would like the Steelers to win by more and me be wrong about uh, how well I think the offensive line can play. But for now, I just don't believe in the offense. I think it's going to rely on the defense. I think the defense is going to do enough. It's going to keep the Raiders under just at 20 points. So I think the Steelers are only going to be able to put up uh, 21. What do you got? This team should have a lot more success moving the ball this week than they did last week, and they finished their last four drives. All drives in the second half, besides the kneel downs to end the game, were very successful, uh, resulting all of them resulting in points and 231 total yards. This defense, while improved from the Raiders group that it's been recently, is still one that doesn't fear me like the Buffalo defense did. I think the Steelers should be able to have success in running the ball, I think bare minimum they should have 70 rushing yards. but And I know that we're all about the rushing success rate, but I want to see the raw numbers in this one too. I think 100 yards is not outrageous in this one. And I think that you should be able to open up the passing game a little bit more this week than you had been able to in previous weeks. And defensively, even though the Raiders boast a solid quarterback, I think, and one of the most dangerous weapons in the NFL in Darren Waller, I just don't think they're deep enough at the receiver position. And their offensive line, I think, is ripe for the picking. The Steelers generated tons of pressure on Josh Allen with just four last week. And against a Raiders offensive line with injuries that should be substantially worse, worse, give me the Steelers' defense to just drub the Raiders easily. So I have the Steelers covering that six-point spread and winning 27-17 to and moving to 2-0 and on the season. Austin, before we wrap this one up, please go to Twitter and look at what Warren Sharp just tweeted. It is, is a it college football Friday. Dumb? Yeah, it's actually dumb and awesome. It is a college football Friday, Maryland and Illinois in Big Ten action. Uh, the center for Illinois just caught a pass, switched the ball in his hands while he was running down the field and gained like uh, 10 yards. Uh, obviously, the play was nullified because he is not an eligible receiver, but please look at the way he runs with the ball in his hands. <laughs> it is. Well, who just tweeted? I'm sorry. Warren Sharp, which is uh, at Sharp Football. I also quote tweeted it from our account. But uh, Uh, okay. Regardless, uh, (laughs) until next time, uh, and until uh, I was going to say, until we meet again, Austin, do you have any anything else you wanted to say before we ended the today's show? Uh, No, I'm just I'm watching that play. Holy cow. All right. Uh, we'll wrap this one up then. Uh, until next Kendrick time. Kendrick Green could never. Yeah, Ke- yeah. where was Kendrick Green doing? The- he was playing yeah, guard. Why, why did Kendrick Green never do this in Illinois? Because he was busy playing guard. You're right. Fair. <laughs> Thank you, as always, for listening to the Stronger Than Steel podcast. As always, if you have any questions about the show or have any constructive feedback to offer, you can email us at strongerthansteelpodcast at gmail.com. And as we've been saying, ch- please check out our new podcast home, anchor.fm, and the name Stronger Than Steel Podcast. And you can always check us out on YouTube as well. Until next time, enjoy Sunday's games. Enjoy the NFL being back for week two. 
And uh, we hope you have a terrific night. And thanks for joining us today on the Stronger Than Steel podcast. Have a good one. Goodbye. You have been listening to Stronger Than Steel podcast. Thank you for joining us today. And don't forget to check out our website listed in the description below.